Great. So, hi, I'm Sydney. Um, you're on the Pre-Lawland podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure. I'm uh, Dan Cannon. I'm a civil rights lawyer um, in the Indiana and Kentucky region, and uh, also a professor of law at the University of Louisville Law School. Um, and uh, my career has been focused mostly on constitutional litigation. It's a little bit of employment discrimination thrown in, um, all plaintiff side work. Um, I don't know what exactly you want to talk about, but uh, yeah, I've done done all kinds of uh, different uh, um, yeah, types of litigation, um, and but I'm teaching full time now. That's mostly what I'm doing. Okay, great. Yeah, um, that's great. Do you want to talk about um, where you're from and like when and why you decided to become a lawyer? Yeah, um, you know, I think people that go to law school tend to fall into two different camps. And those are, you know, people that um, fell in love with lawyers on TV or something when they were 12 and then, you know, decided that they, they that's what they always wanted to do. And, you know, um, that, that's, that's the, the dream and the aspiration for their whole lives. Um, and then there are other people who, who get there by just hitting the big career default button and not knowing what to do after undergrad, I, I definitely fall into the latter category. I mean, I, you know, I um, started my uh, professional life as a musician, I guess. Um, and I was a music teacher and, you know, just playing in bands and stuff all over uh, the country. And um, I, I dropped out of high school to do that. I was never a senior in high school. So in my junior year, I dropped out. So I had sort of a weird path to get to being a law professor, I guess. Um, so, you know, I, I was doing the music thing for about 10 years and, um, decided I was just to make a long story short, kind of sick of that, um, and wanted to do something else. And, um, so, I, you know, I went to college with the, um, idea that I was going to do, do good or type work or go into the Peace Corps or something like that. And, and I, I majored in religious studies and, and modern language, you know, and, when you have a degree like a religious studies degree, I mean, there's only a, a finite number of things that you can do with it. By the time I got out of college, I was not, you know, interested in doing the Peace Corps um, anymore. I just, you know, because of my circumstances, I couldn't do it. Um, I had a family and stuff like that. And, um, you know, um, wasn't sure what to do with myself, but I was pretty good at the school thing by then. I was like, well, why not just do more school? Um, and I went uh, to law school with the intention to never practice, you know, never to become like a trial lawyer or a litigator or anything like that. I thought that was kind of gross and I didn't want any part of it. Um, but I thought, well, the flexibility of the law degree, you know, school is so interesting and I'll get to read about interesting things and, you know, um, and, and school is, you know, the way to go and the flexibility of the law degree will allow me to, I don't know, you know, go to work in a nonprofit org and, you know, do some do-gooder stuff that way. Uh, not at all what happened, you know, by the time I worked for legal aid for a little bit while I was in law school. And then uh, by the time I was in my third year, I was clerking at a small plaintiff's firm doing civil rights work. And when I graduated law school, I didn't want to leave. So I didn't leave. Um, and, uh, you know, I was uh, just kept right on doing civil rights work. And it was mostly employment at first, but then sort of graduated into um, constitutional type actions. Um, I started getting lots of First Amendment work, you know, suing 
universities and other municipal you know municipal entities um, for for First Amendment violations, either for firing somebody or dismissing students. And, um, had a little niche practice doing that for a while, and then that that um, morphed into doing more um, police abuse cases and jail death cases and and that sort of thing. Um, and so that's that's where I am now. And I was fortunate enough in uh, 2014 ish um, after the opinion in in uh, United States versus Windsor, there was um, this sort of big rush to the courts in the Northeast and in the West Coast. Uh, there was sort of this rush to the courts to, um, you know, have marriages recognized, uh, out-of-state marriages recognized, you know, uh, same-sex marriages recognized in um, places that didn't recognize them, basically, right? So, you know, somebody got married someplace um, like California and then moved to a state like Idaho that didn't recognize them. They wanted to you know, change that and, and force those states to recognize them. And um, we filed a case in Kentucky um, that was like that. That was really the first case in the South, people, what people call the South. And we can debate all day long as to whether Kentucky's the South. Um, filed one of those cases in Kentucky and another one in Indiana where nobody was really doing it. Um, and those cases eventually became uh, the case now known as Obergefell versus Hodges after we combined with the Ohio cases and the uh, Tennessee cases yeah. um, and uh, resulted in marriage equality for all 50 states. And so um, from there, uh, we did uh, uh, some, some other high profile type cases and uh, still am involved off and on in that. But you know, as I've said, mostly uh, just at the university teaching full time. Wow, that's an amazing story um, that you were involved in in that um, really famous case. Um, so I guess my next question would be, um, what is the best and or worst non-law job that you've had and what did it teach you? Huh. Well, um, non-law jobs. I mean, I think that I was always teaching, you know, so I was always... Um, um, you know, I, I mean, I've almost never done anything. I've only had a few jobs in my whole life, you know, which is strange because I feel like I've been working for a long time, but I, I mean, I started teaching guitar full time when I was 18, 19, you know? Mm. Um, so, I mean, I think that what I learned, I mean, I learned how to explain complicated things to people, you know? Um, and that was very valuable, uh, throughout, you know, throughout my time as a music teacher, um, you know, you learn how to relate to all kinds of different people. And I guess you do this when you're playing in bars and stuff too. You know, you, you learn how to relate to all kinds of different people and to have empathy um, for what they're going through and what they, you know, um, who they are and what they know and what they don't know. Um, you know, so I think both as a musician as, and as a teacher, that prepared me to be um, hopefully a, a good lawyer by you know, uh, being able to interact with, and I'm oh, sorry, my two-year-old is making all kinds of noise, <laughs> but that, that prepared me, um, for, you know, being able to interact with all kinds of different people and, um, to empathize with them and to, you know, speak to them on their level and to explain the complicated kind of stuff that's going on in their cases or their lives to them in a language that they could understand. 
Right. Yeah, that's great. It seems like those kind of jobs would be really relevant. Um, so how did you prepare for the LSAT? How did you pick the law school that you went to? Um, and more generally, do you have any um, good like pre-law student advice? Yeah. Um, well, you know, all good questions, especially the, you know, how did you pick where you went to law school? I mean, I didn't pick, you know, again, I, I sort of hit the, the big career default button. And I think the advice that, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise anyone to sort of follow the career path that, that I followed because it's ridiculously improbable. But what I do tell students is, you know, when you're trying to select a law school, it helps to have a little bit of foresight, which almost nobody has, but it helps to have a little bit of foresight as to what it is you want to do, or at least a geographic area in which you want to practice. Because right. I'll say that, you know, like the most important place you can go to law school is the community in which you want to practice. I mean, you know, DC is what it is, and that's a different sort of thing. But just about every place else in the whole country, you know, you're going to meet people at law school and this is the thing we tell law students all the time is like, it's a very social thing and it's, you know, who you meet and who you piss off and who you make friends with in law school is going to make a difference. And that's all really true. Um, you know, and, and the, the folks that you interact with, you know, uh, throughout law school and the people that you meet and the jobs that you have, that's all, that's all going to influence your career. And I mean, my first job, during law school and right out of law school, which was really almost the only litigation job that I ever had was because of, you know, uh, I'll put it in scare quotes, nepotism, because, you know, my best friend in law school, you know, her dad's law firm, that's the one that I went to go work at, you know, like, and I, it was just, just pure coincidence that I, that I ended up there. And it was because of the people that I knew. And, um, you know, uh, if, if you want to practice, if you know for sure that you want to practice in a certain community, you want to practice in Louisville, you want to practice in Indianapolis, you want to practice in San Francisco or Seattle or wherever, uh, you owe it to yourself to go to school in that community um, to start, you know, building equity in your own name and laying down roots and meeting lots of people there. Um, it's a tremendously social profession and you just need to, you know, have your tentacles out um, in as many different places as you possibly can in the community that you're going to practice in. It makes you a more effective advocate, you know, because I know people in my community, I know where to go for experts. I know where to go, you know, uh, to ask questions that, that I wouldn't otherwise be able to answer, um, you know, and just the whole host of resources that you have available to you as, you know, just, knowing the folks in your community. And the sooner that you can get started on that process, um, I think the better because, you know, as, an, as, as a litigator, as a trial lawyer, and I think of pretty much of any kind of lawyer, any kind of problem solver, I mean, you're not gonna have all the answers at your fingertips. You have to know where to go for them. And, and more often than not, the answer, of you know, where do I go for this? Where do I go for this answer? You know, uh, the answer to that question is other people. You have to know who to go to, um, not necessarily what the right search terms are to type in in Lexis. Yeah, yeah, I think that the community emphasis is really important. Um, so what was your experience with law school? How did you survive or succeed um, in person? Oh, I hated it. I mean, yeah. you know, it was, that's been... Uh, now you know more than 15 years ago 
And I think the law school environment has changed. I mean, I'm teaching at my alma mater. Um, and, you know, the, the, the environment has changed a lot, I think, for the better for students than when I was there. But it's not at all like undergrad. I mean, it's still very um, competitive and it's very high stress. And I think there's certain expectations that professors have um, from students that just don't exist in the, the realm of undergraduate studies or most studies at all, even graduate studies. You know, um, I think as long as we have this sort of cultural problem with the law where you know, you have big law firms that are expecting first year associates to bill 2000 hours a year and they're micromanaging you and everything's very stressful and the judges are very unforgiving and opposing counsel is unforgiving and people are you know, developing problems with alcohol and suicide and everything else because of that. You know, those problems really start in law school, I think, as long as we have a culture of the law that is driving, you know, professors and administrators to think, well, we have to be really hard on students at school because this is the environment that they're going into. They're about to be fed to the wolves. So we got to give them a little taste of what that's like. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some question as to whether um, that's, that's sort of a chicken or egg question, right? You know, like, are we perpetuating that culture and the, the, these, you know, sort of bad work environments for students by normalizing it at the law school? That's a whole other thing. And it's really not the, the question that you asked. Um, you know, but I think that, that, you know, law school's tough. I mean, it's difficult. And, um, and it, it, I think it, we're getting better about being sensitive to the needs of students, but it's a work in progress. And, you know, students should um, quickly learn how to self-advocate. I think once you get into the law school environment and say, look, you know, I'm being mistreated by a professor or an administrator or a classmate as the case maybe if that is happening and hopefully it won't happen to any of you but um it does happen and and i think that you know we need to know about that and talk more about that as a legal community as a whole so we can start to fix those problems and i think once we start to fix those problems then we're then we're really working on fixing the problems that are in, endemic to the profession as a whole because you know like those um obsessive you know, behavior patterns, those uh, workaholism and to an extent alcoholism and suicidal tendencies and all that stuff, you know, can start um, at the law school. And, and, you know, so we're really working on weeding those things out and, um, you know, just, just be aware that, you know, you, you'll have a voice in that environment and your voice can be very powerful and you should talk about things that are not fair and you should call those things out. And, um, and uh, not tolerate it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, thank you for going outside of the question because I think that's really good, um, a really good perspective. Um, I hope you're gonna edit because I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> you, guys, you asked a, a trial lawyer and a, and a law professor to come and talk. And so, you know, uh, <laughs> we, we like the sounds of our own voices. So um, <laughs> no worries whatsoever. Feel free to chop it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so, kind of bouncing off of that, um, how do you try uh, to achieve like a work-life balance? Is that even possible? I mean, you said that you have a two-year-old, you know, so what's that like? Yeah, I've got three little girls. I've got a young family. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's tough. And I don't think that, you know, the way in which 
American professionalism and, you know, to dig a little deeper American capitalism is, uh, there's really not such a thing as, as a work-life balance, right? I mean, that whole um, concept is, I mean, you know, you're going to feel pressured to, you're going to feel pressure from both sides, you know, you're going to feel pressure to, um, especially as a lawyer to sort of like have work take over your entire life. Because, and I, you know, when I was litigating full time, I mean, your brain gets really sick doing that stuff really fast. And it's uh, something that I, I advise your listeners to look out for. I mean, I think, and, I, and I'll preface all this by saying, I think being a lawyer is great. Um, it's a great life and you can do lots of good for people and you can make lots of money and there's a lot of great things about it. Um, but the law um, will take over your, your brain in ways that are not great, you know, and litigation in particular um, is very stressful. And there is this pressure. I mean, most of most students, by the time they make it to law school, you know, most people that want to become professionals, even if you're just, you know, doing an MBA or whatever, medical students, you know, um, they're, they got to where they are because they're type A people, right? And law school and the law itself, I think, feeds on the worst tendencies of type A personalities in America, because it will take as much as you're willing to give and still demand more, you know, so you're, you, you've gotten where you are because, you know, you, you want to cross all the T's and dot all the I's in your life and do what society expects of you. And the problem with that is that society expects you to just continue to give and give and give until you drop. Um, and you can do it. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter if you're working for a big firm or if you're working for the government or if you're working, you know, as a solo practitioner, even um, the pressure to continue to work all the time until you just can't do it anymore is great um, for all sorts of different reasons, because you got an asshole senior partner standing over your shoulder saying you need to maximize your billable hours or because you've got a client that's very demanding or because you need to maximize the number of clients that you have so you can keep the lights on and make as much money as you can, you know, or whatever the kind of public defenders that have like 900 cases at a time in rural areas. I mean, it's insane. Um, so there's a lot of demands that, that the profession puts on you that are just not healthy. Um, and if you're not careful, you can really get sucked into thinking that all that is normal that like working 60 hour weeks is normal and taking calls at all hour of the night, all hours of the day and night uh, is normal. And, you know, obsessing over cases in the middle of the night is all normal. I mean, like that is a thing that we have really normalized within the profession that I think is profoundly unhealthy. So um, how do you think um, one person, or like how do you go about changing the, um, the culture of the like lawyering profession? Um, I don't know, you know, and it's something that I've been struggling with for um, a while now and we're struggling with in Louisville and, you know, Kentucky overall. Uh, we've had a, a dramatic number of suicides uh, in the profession in Kentucky, just Kentucky alone, you know, over the last 10, well, since I've been practicing, you know, I've known a dozen people that have killed themselves. And um, so it's something that, you know, we talk about a lot, but I don't think anybody really has any good answers. After this last rash of suicide, I think we've had 
five since December, you know, five since Christmas, uh, which is insane. So after this last, that last rash of suicides, we're, we're talking more about it as, as a community at the law school, talking more about it as, you know, a legal community overall. Um, but what can we really do? You know, again, I mean, I think that the problem, the root of the problem lies with American capitalism, which you're not going to, you know, just get in and, and overturn, right? Unfortunately. Um, but, but, you know, beyond that, what are the little things that we can do? I think there are some things, you know, not having character and fitness committees sniff around a student's mental health records, for one thing, uh, before they sit for the bar exam. That's huge. You know, because I cannot tell you how many students have come to me and said, uh, and I've been doing this a very short, you know, relatively short time, like four years full time. And in that time, so many students have said they're terrified of seeking treatment uh, for one reason or another, because they're afraid that the uh, character and fitness committee of their bar association to be uh, is going to keep them from sitting for the bar or keep them from getting licensed somehow, you know, because they sought the services of a therapist or because they were on an antidepressant or something like that, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a problem. I mean, those questions should not even be asked. Those questions are not asked once somebody is out in practice, right? right. You know, so you can do whatever with a client's money or, or, you know, I mean, you can, you can be out and doing terrible things to clients all over the place. And, and it's really hard to come under scrutiny from a state bar association in most places. Uh, but a student, you know, if the, if the bar association is acting on a, as a gatekeeper for a student who wants to be licensed, that's a different story. And they're poking into those mental health records and it's a problem. Okay. So that's one big thing that we can do. But I think there are little cultural changes that we can, we can do too. Like, you know, um, if opposing counsel asks for more time on a brief, if they're not doing it just to annoy you, then say yes, every single time we ought to normalize that. If, you know, um, I mean, normalize not sending emails after six o'clock at night. And I, I, by that, I mean, make it taboo, like, you know, uh, yeah. front somebody like, what the hell are you doing texting me at eight o'clock at night? Stop doing that. I mean, I think there are little things that we can do, but but yeah. the big scale change, I don't think is within our power to to make, at least not immediately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's that's a really interesting perspective. Um so what would you say the most rewarding or your favorite um, part about being a lawyer or lawyer, uh, law professor is? And um, what is the worst or most challenging part as well? Um, well, the worst we've already talked about. I mean, I think the worst is um, just, you know, your brain is going to want to work all the time and not be satisfied unless you're doing work um, and you the profession allows that to a degree that, you know, not only have we normalized it, but we reward that kind of thinking. Like, you know, if you're not in the office, it's different. I think it's going to be different for your generation than for mine, but I hope. Um, but, but, you know, when I started practicing, even though there's a lot you could do from home, um, there's, there's still this sort of pressure to be in the office and you know to to have your head in a file or else you're you're not worth shit you're not doing anything right um so that you know sort of merciless work culture is the worst part about it um 
but you know, I've touched on some of the best aspects. I mean, you know, it really is the best way to make an honest living. I think working as a lawyer is the best way to, to make an honest living in the United States. You know, you're not, you don't have to be hard at work putting money in somebody else's pockets. And in fact, you can, you know, do what I always wanted to do, which is to, you know, help the poor and the downtrodden, et cetera, et cetera, you know, marginalized people. Um, you can help them by putting money in their pockets. You can, I mean, you, you know, it's essentially a way, if you're a plaintiff's lawyer, you can, you can be a sort of Robin Hood going out there and taking money from big corporations um, and giving it to your client who needs it a lot more, you know, yeah. um, and you can genuinely and, 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 you know, legitimately help people um, and make a bunch of money as a lawyer. It can be a great life. Um, and you get to, you know, if you're an instant gratification kind of person, you get to see those changes right away. Um, you know, there's a, there's a guy up in uh, civil rights warriors, uh, lawyers in particular, rather, uh, do a lot of great work, um, you know, in, ter in terms of making small scale systemic change. If you look at somebody like Algar Hardstein up in Cincinnati, he's, uh, you know, changed the, the, the way in which Cincinnati police do their job to such a dramatic degree over the last five years because he keeps suing them um, that Cincinnati is one of the, uh, one of the, I mean, the Cincinnati police department was one of the best in the country in terms right. of, you know, not killing people right. and not beating them up and, you know, all the kind of stuff that we sort of associate with police departments now. So you really can make a difference in your community. Uh, you can, you can make a good living and you can look at yourself in the mirror every morning. I mean, what's better than that? There's few jobs where you can say that. Right. Yeah. No. Um, I think that's um, something that, you know, a lot of people that go into lawyering for that reason, it's probably good to hear, you know, that you feel like you're making a difference. Um, so is there something that surprised you most about the profession that you really weren't expecting when you went into it? Everything, Yeah. you know, everything about it. Um, and I'm glad to, if any of your listeners want to reach out to me and, and, and talk about what it's like, you know, to not know anything about lawyer culture um, and go to law school, you can do it because I did it, you know. Um, and I think it's given me, it's helped me uh, sort of gain perspective on, you know, how my clients see the world and how my students, you know, who've come from a similar background see the world. But I don't think I ever had a conversation with a lawyer before I started law school. Like I didn't know anything about it, nothing. And it's a whole different world, you know, for somebody that comes into law school like that than it is for someone that comes from a family of lawyers. There's lots of those, right? You know, mm -hmm. so if your folks are lawyers or if you worked at a law office before or if you've, you know, done that kind of, if you've, if you've been immersed in lawyer culture, um, I think you can understand what's going on a little bit better. Um, but I wasn't, I mean, like, you know, I came from a background where, um, you know, um, any sort of experience with the law was a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. Yeah, getting arrested. Um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, there's, I mean, everything was sort of culture shock for me um, at first. And I remember that very, um, acutely. Now you, you can adapt to it though, and you can get acclimated, I think pretty quickly. And, and then, you know, if you're coming from that kind of background, you, you have something that, um, is really hard to teach, 
which is, you know, empathy for most of your clients. You know, as I've said before, if you if you can figure out where they're coming from and get in a headspace with your clients, it's that's really really difficult to do. I think if all you've ever known is the professional class, mm -hmm. um, it's not impossible. Some people are really good at it, but I think it's hard um, to identify with, you know, um, folks that are sort of at the bottom of the pecking order, and those are the folks I always wanted to represent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Um, as someone who's definitely not surrounded by lawyers whatsoever, that's definitely good to hear. Um, let's see. What kind of person or is there any one kind of person that you would encourage in particular to go into the legal profession? Well, I would discourage anyone from going into it just because you think you're going to make gobs and gobs of money. You right. know, um, lots of people don't, you know, I think you can make a good living with a law license, no question about it. Um, but if you are going into it thinking, well, I'll just take out $200,000 worth of loans and I'm not going to worry about it because I'm going to make a million dollars a year when I get out, you might, um, but you might not, you know, and so don't count on on big dollars at the at the end of the rainbow what happens more often than not is that students go out and you know with that sort of mindset and put on the golden handcuffs you know um and what i mean by that is you know we we have students that we send out to become first year associates of the biggest law firms thinking all right i'll do this for a couple of years and i'll pay off my student loans and then I can go do civil rights work or I can be a public defender or I can do what I really want. No, I mean, no, that doesn't happen. Right. And you've probably talked to enough people on this show um, and otherwise, you know, to know that, 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 that is extremely rare. Yeah. Once you go out and you start making, you know, depending on the market you're in a hundred thousand dollars a year or more, you know, as a first year associate at a big firm, you're not going to cut that off. So you can go make $50,000 and be a public defender after you've been doing it for a couple of years. It's yeah. not going to happen. You know, you don't, people don't go in and pay off their loans and then, you know, decide to do, do good or work. Very few, very few people do that. Very few people do that. And I think that's a recipe for misery in a profession where you don't have to be miserable. You know, there are lots of ways to um, practice law and have a great time and, you know, do good things for your community and all the stuff we've been talking about. Um, so I, I tell students all the time, you know, if you find yourself miserable, best piece of advice I ever got was, if you don't like what you're doing, do something else. If you find yourself miserable practicing law, you don't have to be. There's, there's something else that you can do with that law license. And remember, you're going to law school to improve your life. Right. You know, not just your material circumstances, but your life overall. Yeah. You know, and, and, and just making a paycheck is not going to do it for most people. Uh, you, you got to have some, you know, other measure of success beyond that, or you're going to end up miserable. So, um, but you know, for people that want to, to do good work, that people that want to help other people, um, for, for, you know, people who, um, care about their communities, I, I mean, go to law school. I, I am not one of those lawyers that discourages people from going to law school, not, a lot. I have, um, I, I, uh, I have plenty of bad things to say about the profession. I have plenty of bad things to say about law schools, but overall, 
I, I still think it's it's just about the best way you can make a living in the United States. Yeah, that's great. Um, it's good that you can both um, criticize it and recognize the great things that it um, helps you achieve. So um, if you could change or eliminate just one law off the top of your head, what would it be? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, if I could change or eliminate one law, uh, I wish I'd have thought about that before this because there's there's a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, that's a tough question. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, I mean, I, I, I work in criminal justice. And so, you know, um, that's um, the sort of the majority of what I, I read and write about and the, you know, the cases that I litigate. Um, and everything out there is so bad. It's like, you know, I mean, I think if you ask me from hour to hour, what's the law that I'm going to change? Uh, there's, and there's so much out there. We've, we've criminalized everything. So it's like, it's really impossible to know where to begin. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, at this point, nobody even knows what the criminal laws are that are being passed Yeah, you know, from, from session to session. It's just, it's enormous and overwhelming. And, you know, so even the state legislators are not questioning these things. I have a, I have a, a friend who is a, a state Senator in Indiana and they passed this, idiotic draconian bill last session or session before last um it's one of those alec you know pieces of shit that is passing all over the the country uh, that is that prohibits trespassing on critical infrastructure and what that means is if you're protesting an oil or gas pipeline that's getting put in you can be fined in Oklahoma. It's a million dollars. Like you get a million dollar fine for trespassing. Wow. I'm pretty sure that trespassing is already illegal in Oklahoma and it's a misdemeanor offense. And, you know, um, at, at, at worst, uh, you know, so in Indiana, I think it's only a hundred thousand dollars in Indiana. Wow. But it's, still. And that's for organizations who facilitate it too. So if you, you know, uh, are, are, if you run the Sierra club in Indiana or Oklahoma, and you put out a Facebook post that says, Hey, it might be a good idea if everybody showed up to this oil, uh, this gas pipeline protest on such and such day, that means at least as I read the law that you can be fined a million dollars and be put completely out of business in that state for doing that. So I mean, but stuff like that passes all the time. And I say, oh, I have to say that my, my Democratic senator friend voted for it. Mm -hmm. They don't read it. And he was like, yeah. well, I wasn't on the committee that decided that. And I didn't really know about it until I saw an article in the Indy Star come out a couple of weeks later. And I was like, holy shit, that that bill was a real dog turd and I shouldn't have voted for it. But, you know, it sounded good at the time. So yeah. and this is the way we pass criminal laws in this country. So. Right. I think yeah. all of it should go. Just throw it all out. I mean, that's the answer to your question. Yeah. Throw it all out and start over again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that makes sense. Um, so if you were to compare like someone thinking about going into like litigation, civil rights work versus policy, um, do you have any comments about that? Or um... Litigation's hard. Um, you got to be, you know, built for it. And I don't know that I necessarily am but i did it for a long time and i was successful at it you know but it'll eat your brain 
And I think that, you know, to the extent that you can have a work-life balance, what I observe now as a law professor that I didn't have a chance to observe as a, a lawyer um, is that really there's two tracks that you can go on this sort of like broadly transactional track where you're sitting at a desk, you know, you come, you know, I mean, you come to work at nine o'clock and you go home at five o'clock and you've worked on a bunch of contracts and maybe you got to work a little bit on the weekends and that kind of thing. And that just comes with the package. Um, and then there's, and, and you know, you're going to be, you're going to be confined, I think, to a certain income bracket, which is still a pretty good income bracket doing that kind of work. Um, but the pace is, is dramatically slower than litigation, which will eat your brain all the time. You'll make more money uh, and you can make tons and tons of money as a litigator. Uh, you know, and I think that like beyond what whatever, whatever your listeners think that you, you, is, you know, that you're going to make when you get out and you start, you know, being a lawyer. I mean, at least for me, you know, what I was able to make as a lawyer vastly exceeded that. I, you know, I think when I was in law school and living on ramen noodles, I'm sort of like, well, if I could get out and make $50,000, that would, that would be amazing. That would be life-changing, you know? And, and I mean, it just, you'll be able to do that and you'll be able to make whatever you want. And then some as a lawyer and particularly as a litigator, I mean, the question is, how much do you really need and how much do you really want to, you know, um, kill yourself to, to, to make that kind of money? And that answer is different for everybody. I mean, you know, it sounds like sort of a, a baited hook, but it's not. I mean, I think that, you know, some people go out and and hit, you know, a couple of seven figure licks at trial right away and they love doing that kind of work. And, you know, trials are what they live for and and, you know, the adrenaline rush and staying up all night and doing that stuff. And that's fine. Um, I do not think as many of us are built for that kind of life as we think we are, you know, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I think there's a whole lot more people that are, that are, you know, not suited to work 80 hour weeks, uh, than, than that are, uh, but you know, uh, uh, as, as between to, to bottom line that I think, you know, there's a litigation direction you can go. Um, which is more stress and more money. And then there's the sort of transactional or policy direction that you can go, which is less money, but less, you know, in the way of headaches. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's, that's definitely good to know. It's um, also more boring, right? You know, I mean, I think that's the other thing about it. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a certain personality type that, that responds to each one of those tracks. And I mean, it's not exciting to do contract review or, you know, um, in it, or to be corporate counsel that's working on employment policy all day long. I mean, some people may be very excited by that. I personally am not. Right. <laughs> uh, so, so it's different constitutions and, and, you know, try those things while you're in law school. And that what I really like, I'm, I run the clinical program at the university. And I mean, you know, what I really like about that program is that, and what I try to encourage students to do is to try different things, you know, try a, a semester of transactional stuff and then try a semester of litigation and you start to get a gauge for what you can really handle. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so speaking of that, are there any pieces of advice that you give your students that you would want to pass on to the people listening to this podcast? Well, I think I've said most of it, you know, yeah. if you don't like what you're doing, do something else your law license gives you the flexibility to do all kinds of different things. And what students really have a tough time with, and I think that law schools um, have not been helpful about this, uh, but students have a tough time recognizing their own power, not just within the school, but once you get your, 
your law license. Yeah. Um, and I think that you feel like you're stuck in things that you're not necessarily stuck in. Students don't feel like they can go out, for example, and hang a shingle someplace. Students don't feel like they can take three or four of their best friends from law school and start a, a personal injury law firm. You can. There's yeah. nothing in the world that stops you from doing that. And it's simpler now than it's ever been in human history yeah. to do that kind of thing. Um, and, and you can do it for, you know, not a whole lot of money and not a whole lot of, of, of heartache. Uh, but I think for a lot of law schools, not all of them, we're getting better about it again, but for a lot of law schools, we sort of hold up the first year associate at a big law firm at a big defense firm, you know, as the brass ring, like that's the best thing that you can possibly aspire to. So the big law firms come and they poach the, you know, top five students from the class and, you know, groom them for careers where they're going to be billing 2000 hours a year and having somebody staring that, you know, staring at their work all the time and never seeing the inside of a courtroom. And that's what we sort of build up as the best that somebody can hope for when they leave law school. It's just not true. You know, um, in my opinion, it's not true. And there's lots of things that you can do with that law license um, that, you know, you don't have to be miserable in your career. So don't ever think that you, you have to stay in a miserable situation. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. Are there any misconceptions that you think people have about lawyers that you would want to clear up or you would want to change if possible? I think I'm so immersed in the world of lawyers at this point that it's hard for me to say, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's always the standard kind of stuff that like, you know, um, lawyers have a bunch of money, which is not always true. Uh, I mean, you know, certainly not for cash strap public defender organizations can't pay, you know, PDs. I mean, like there's sort of these notorious stories about PDs that work second jobs, delivering pizzas or tending bar and stuff like that, you know, and that's all true. Um, so there's that, I think that, you know, the myth that lawyers are not working class people, you know, um, that there's this sort of like, like you're definitely um, by, <laughs> By the simple fact that you have a law license, that means that you're you're upper crust, like you're the upper echelon of society. Right. Um, people think that about college professors too, yeah. and any kind of like white collar jobs, like accountants, you know. Um, but I mean, that is America's working class now, you know. Um, and so I think you know to the extent that that um, and lawyers lawyers sort of can put themselves in a mental box where they are not part of that class where they think that they're somehow floating above floating on a plane above the working classes in America too. Um, and a lot of us do that and we shouldn't do it, you know? Um, but, but I, so, so those are sort of the common misconceptions. I don't know that really answers your question. Like lawyers are always busy and they don't have time for their clients. And, you know, a lot of that is rooted, rooted in truth. You know, yeah, yeah. Honestly. And, um, yeah. Uh, so, so I can't say that those are misconceptions, but they are, um, they are the way that the public sees us, that we're sort of aloof and we don't have time for them and all that is bad, but I think it's a byproduct of what, you know, the culture of our profession demands from us. And it may not be that we're aloof or we don't give a shit about them because most of the time we do, I think, you know, lawyers 
by and large care about people, but we just got so much on our plates that we don't have time, you know, to answer every email and answer every phone call and every text and everything else and be the fire department all the time. We just can't, you'll go crazy. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, as we wrap up, do you have anything that you want to promote or anything you want to add before we end? Oh gosh. I don't know. Um, I have a, um, podcast series that is coming out um, about Midwestern stereotypes and people that are uh, doing all kinds of cool stuff to change their communities in the Midwest. And that's called Midwesticism. You can look that up at midwesticism.org. Um, and I have a book that is coming out with uh, basic books um, early next year, early 2022, I think is when it's scheduled for release called Pleading Out. And that is a book about plea bargaining, but it basically is uh, an indictment of the entire American criminal justice system. So lots of horror stories and lots of, uh, you know, blood, guts, and gore of the law. So uh, hopefully your readers will, will like that once they get a hold of it. Great. Yeah. I will look both of those up and uh, be on the lookout. Great. Thank you so much. Well, I think if you don't have any other comments, I'm going to end the recording now. No, uh, uh, take care of yourselves and each other. And uh, thanks a lot for having me on. Great. Thanks.